Welcome back to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf. So glad to be back. For the people that are listening to this, if you've not seen, I had a tonsillectomy recently, and it was the worst surgery I've had in my life, and I've had four in the past 18 months. Painful. I could not speak, and therefore the podcast is put on a short hiatus. But we are back to our normally regular schedule. I'm glad to be here. I'm here with Prime as usual, and this is not your normal episode of Visionaries. We are now posting bonus content via our Patreon. So if you are listening to this and you want access to the entirety of this episode and not the sound bites you are about to hear, you can find those on patreon.com slash Jacob Wolf. Mikhail Klimatov. That is M I K H A I L K L I M E N T O V. Or you can find that in the show notes if you just want to click it and get there easily. We are posting this teaser because we want you guys to hear what the bonus t- episodes sound like as we start doing more of them. So I'll let Prane talk about what he thought about this episode. Prane, thoughts on the episode with Bryce Blum and Ovi Bouillon? Great episode. I mean, uh... The episode is is all about the series of essays they wrote, the esports reckoning. Uh, we've talked about it before. We think esports is a little bit of a very unstable bubble, and and I think that they they really concisely put together a a, a set of essays that that spell out why that is, and and to some extent provide legitimate potential kind of starting points for solutions. And and having them both on really does allow them to to allow both you and them to have a, a a clear conversation where both of you are pushing on assertions that the other has made in a really kind of organic way. A hundred percent, yes. It was a great like, conversation. I'm glad that they pushed back on me, and I'm glad I was able to push back on them too because we don't agree on everything. Yeah, and I think this is realistically the type of content that. People are going to get in 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 bonus content. It's a little bit more, almost casual. There's there's a, a there's a a stripped back layer of of the formality of everything. Hundred percent. So we'll dive in. We'll play a couple sound bites for you all that are listening on the main Visionaries feed. And as we said, if you are interested in finding the rest of this episode, you can do so on the Patreon linked in the show notes. If you are a patron. Thank you for being here already. You can go find that. You have access to it. All you have to do is either link your Spotify account with Patreon, or you can just input the Patreon RSS into whatever podcast player you would like. Please, uh, please input it as private. Don't input it as public, or we'll have to figure out some takedown stuff. That's a pain in the butt for all of us. So please make sure you do it right. Patreon gives pretty clear instructions on how to do that. But we'll share these sound bites so you can hear what you might want to listen to if you want to become a patron we have a various different amount of tiers so thank you all for considering and here are the short summary of our episode with avi Bion and bryce blom bryce and ovi welcome to visionaries thanks for joining us yeah thanks for having us so i want to talk about the motivations for this series of essays that you guys have written i think that you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have wanted to write something kind of similar to this before in the sense that they wanted to write about sort of how the esports industry is uh, dying, correcting, whatever it may be, kind of do a tell all. But there always seems to be like a lot of secondary motivations that stop people from doing such a thing. You know, Ovi, I know that it's been a little bit since you've worked kind of endemically in the esports scene, but Bryce, you were still actively representing a number of the top teams in the space as an attorney. And so I'm curious 
what the motivation here was to write such a thing that, you know, could potentially be detrimental to the industry to if somebody reads it and, you know, takes a second guess on it, which could impact what you do. I'm happy to tackle this first. I imagine our motivations are uh, different, but interrelated. Okay, so a lot of thoughts on this topic, because this is something that I have been thinking about and that Ovi has been thinking about for a really long time. I mean, a lot of this writing is stuff that we were advising people about three, four, five years ago. I mean, this isn't, we've learned more since then. There's more color. There's more evidence that we can rely upon to reach a lot of these conclusions. But a lot of these conclusions aren't new, at least not for us. And so imagine that you feel like your working industry that you believe in, that you love, that you want to see succeed, you're able to influence that industry within your small corner, but you see lots of things going on around, you know, bad actors, bad execution, misunderstanding of core dynamics within the space. And then the reckoning comes, you know, actually Ovi dubbed it, which was perfect. Ovi is very good at this. And we just kind of felt like, we might as well say our piece, right? There's going to be a whole bunch of discussion happening publicly, most of which is unsophisticated, overly simplistic analysis. Then we might as well get in the mix and give this thing all the nuance that it that it deserves. Admittedly, it was a different calculus for me and Ovi because, like you said, Ovi's not has not been doing like endemic esports stuff for a little bit, so I had to I had to grapple with the possibility that clients, other people within the industry, would be upset about what I was going to say and ultimately how I made my peace with it is I feel like this is a net positive for the industry. I don't feel like this harms the industry at all. To your question, Jacob, I feel like this is a good thing for the industry to have these conversations candidly. I think we need, to, as we said in kind of the framing of the piece, we need to, to socialize learnings and understanding of the past decade plus if we're going to forge a path forward that ultimately makes the industry as a whole more successful. And so I felt like I could defend that to anyone who had an issue with it, anyone who would say, hey, there, there are ways in which this is critical of the industry or the core economics or whatever. I can, I can have a very reasonable, rational response as to why I think this is net positive for the industry. And then the last thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up, is there's an element of this that's just like, when you get to a certain stage in your career, you optimize for different things. And I think that for me, saying my piece about this publicly and not continuing to kind of sit on a lot of opinions that I've had, strongly held opinions that I've had that are somewhat divergent from the, you know, the discussion publicly around this industry for the past decade. I just needed to say, you know what, certain points you got to get off the sidelines, get into the game. You know, I'm, I've been an advisor for my entire career and sometimes it's nice to just have my own opinion out there. And so I feel like I just needed to say my piece. Yeah, I think Bryce is exactly right interrelated, very similar motivations. I guess for me, it was three things. So first is that, you know, like Bryce, I love this industry, even though I don't work in it day to day, it got me my start in the games industry. I'm a fan. I really love it. And so I think from the beginning, I was like, I think it would be net positive to put a really candid and I think multifaceted perspective out there, which kind of leads into my second reason, which is that to be honest with you in general, uh, honesty is kind of like a really important, uh, principle for me and it's always felt a little weird for me over the last couple years more than last couple years that like okay with esports there are things you can say publicly but then there are the things that you cannot say publicly you can only say privately and those things that you can only say privately are probably the most important things that anyone should be saying about the industry and you know i don't think it's necessarily dishonest it's just like there's a social cost to saying some of these things out loud candidly i think the cost is a lot lower now that you know some of these uh, some of these high profile 
events like Overwatch League and FaZe, it's just really hard to engage in kind of some of the bad faith stuff that was going on five years ago to Bryce's point that it is today. And I think, frankly, Bryce and I are both privileged in that, you know, for an average fan, like I have opinions about the NBA or, you know, Formula One, but I don't really know anything about Formula One that a, that's going on behind the scenes. There might be all kinds of dynamics that I'm just not educated about. So, you know, my opinion is only as good as what I kind of see other people talk about publicly. With esports, I've had the benefit of, you know, talking to publishers and teams and players and content creators and broadcast platforms. And although there are a lot of really high profile folks in the industry, it's really rare to get to talk to all these different stakeholders candidly. And so for me, I was just like, I feel like it'd be valuable to share this. And the last reason is just, I really hope this can nudge the industry forward in some way, whether it's, I've already talked to a couple of folks at a couple of publishers who are like, oh, this is really cool. I don't know what's going to come of it, but I've shared it around and it's like gotten discussions going. And at the end, that's kind of what I wanted from this. Uh, Yeah. And that brings me to point two, which is creators. This is the shift that I think I started to see in 2020. And it's so funny reflecting because I don't know about you guys, but like as a reporter, the amount of press releases that I was getting in 2020 about how this was the big moment for esports, all of you know, all the traditional sports is on pause for several months before the NBA bubble and before the WWE Performance Center situation in Florida. And it's, it's just pitch after pitch after pitch and just like vaporware bullshit. And the I think. But then like that summer, you're seeing like esports teams take PPP loans and everything else like in, in pretty significant. Hey man, that's PPP free loans. money. I think everyone <laughs> took PPP loans. <laughs> uh, I will say when I called some of them, they returned the money because it looked bad if you're a billionaire taking a PPP loan or you're a billionaire or owned organization and you're taking a PPP loan. But yeah, I uh, I think in reality, looking back at it now, the pandemic did change things, not positively for esports, because I think. One, some of the esports that had momentum and, you know, I'm very well known Overwatch League critic, so I'm saying this with a critical perspective, but the Overwatch League had some momentum with its home stance in 2020 and it, you know, was not able to even fulfill that out because it couldn't travel anymore and do those planned road shows. And obviously that hit the bottom line pretty hard of, of a lot of the people in the Overwatch League and the teams in the Overwatch League. But I think in reality, reflecting back, I think it made a pretty significant shift with the type of audience that watches gaming, gaming adjacent live entertainment. And it made it a lot more towards influencers, which I think it was already turning that way anyway. But I think the pandemic probably accelerated that and less about esports teams. And I have a lot of or, or esports competitions just in general. And numbers kind of support that. I've gone and done like sort of concurrent viewership or not concurrent viewership, uh, average watch hours and average minute audience calculations against a lot of the esports leagues. And you see a pretty much a downward trend from 2018 and 2019 the longer you go and it started to dip a little bit it spiked in 2020 for a little bit and then went back down over the summer but that spring it was a little higher and all that to say i think there's something about esports leagues and the way that they are currently presented it doesn't feel personal and i think that's a little bit because the broadcast of esports wants to be traditional sports it wants to feel professionalized like the NFL or the NBA or everything else. I think there's a lot of pride, especially in the publisher ran leagues like the LCS and the LEC and LCK and LPL and the Overwatch League and some of the others to look like that and have that standard. But I think that this audience, the more and more market research I've done about them, especially now being an entrepreneur and running a media company and having to do a lot of that data crunching. They don't like something that feels overly corporate and over professionalized. They really do like 
And it's part of the reason, Bryce, you mentioned TFT Esports. Like, part of the reason that makes it fun is a lot of the broadcasts are from y'all at home and just, you know, kind of feels a little bit more like a hangout. And you see, you know, some of the stuff that works in the more less professionalized esports like Smash and others do well for this reason, too. That feels more personal. You feel like you're a part of the experience and people are interacting with chat. It doesn't feel like it's a, a heavy sports broadcast. And I think influencers have continued to be very successful, even post-pandemic, where the esports leagues have continued to struggle. I'm curious your thoughts on that, that kind of shift. So I don't personally attribute the pandemic to much of this shift to be totally honest. Now, I could be convinced that I should be attributing more and look more at the data. And you know, my understanding is that it was very similar to yours, which is that, that you know, in the initial phase of the pandemic, we started to see a massive spike. We saw a spike in all content consumption, right? I think part of the advantage that intuitively that creators would have is that you can only have so much esports competition, whereas creators could just be live all the time. And this, you know, pull and push on a creator's life of, you know, how often do I want to be live? It's all, you know, how often do I want to go out and live my life? It's a lot simpler when you can't go out and live your life. <laughs> and a lot of creators were live a lot more often as a result of that. I do agree with the, with the overarching sentiment that if you have to paint this audience with a broad brush, and I guess we do for our, our purposes, and you said, we either, do we want to be a fully buttoned up professional version of the thing, or do we want to be like a more laid back, interactive, casual honest version of the thing i think that the audience leans more towards the latter than the former there are obviously large groups of people that would prefer to consume the like buttoned up version one of my favorite data points was always that for all of the access and money that riot put behind its version of the like core league of legends podcast in its prime they could not touch summoning insights viewership which was very interesting right because they theoretically had all of this talent available to them all the you know, so many casters and all the players basically and infinite resources behind it and production value, but they couldn't beat two guys that just invited guests onto a show and talked exactly the format that we're doing now. And I think there's lots of examples of this. You know, we're seeing Tarek's co-stream outstrip very impressive VTC, VCT viewership, but Tarek can still beat it, right? And we're seeing tons of traditional sports follow suit and understand that creating outlets, whether it's the Manning cast or whatever it is, of a more laid back, co-streamy type of feel for their competitive broadcasts uh, can be a real value add for a certain type of viewer. And I think for esports space, it's not for a certain type of viewer, it's really for kind of the core audience that would prefer this. And you know, my experience with this in, in being a TFT caster has been really interesting as we as I did a bunch of official broadcasts, we did the summit, which was by far everyone's favorite, everyone I've ever interacted with, it was their favorite TFT esports event because it was cash, it was laid back. It wasn't, to be clear though, one thing that's really interesting, it was very well produced, right? That I think is, a, there's a, people are conflating things when they shouldn't in this area, which is there's a certain vibe that the audience wants, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be low production. It doesn't have to be a bunch of people from home with their microphones. I think there can be a much better version of it that, it's to kind of have your cake and eat it too, where it's not like I, you shouldn't spend those resources. You should spend those resources. I think having like compelling storytelling, visual, you know, video video packages, right? Like make the broadcast something that feels more professional, make sure it runs technically well in a sophisticated manner, you know, use of graphics and stats and all these different things, but don't make it look like what traditional sports have made it look like for the last 30 years. I think that if I was in charge of a new sports product, that's the direction that I would want to go with my product. Ovi, thoughts? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit apples and oranges in some ways. I will say one thing that's kind of Bryce and I, this is one of those things that it I don't know that it made it into the pieces, but it's one of those observations that you're like, you know, it's that I feel like way back, like in 2014, when I first joined Riot, part of the pitch of esports was that, hey, the reason why esports is more compelling than traditional sports is that if you like the NFL, you tune in, you watch Tom Brady for four hours on a Sunday and you don't see Tom Brady again until the following Sunday for four hours and on and on and on. And of course, you know, since then, like celebrities are on Instagram a little bit more. They're a little bit more accessible. And so this isn't universally true. But you contrast that to esports where like, hey, you know, these TSM folks, this Andy Din guy, or like you look at CLG and this Doublelift guy, once the game ends that night or the following night, he'll be on twitch.tv slash Doublelift and you can talk to him in chat. You can interact with him. And so you not only see your heroes in the arena, but you can interact with them the very next day in a way and the amount of time and the relationship you can build with them is just totally different whereas in the you know traditional and sports they're the practicing removal, the yeah. removal of barriers as well sorry not to cut you off but i think it's like no a really no no please part of the story it's really important and so in 2014 i was like man i don't know exactly what it is but there's something really special about this and i really think traditional sports can't touch this now ironically <laughs> esports kind of developed in the opposite direction in part because of the professionalization and their requirements of practice and stuff and scrim blocks and you know, back in the day, in 2014 is controversial if you should even be scrimming in some <laughs> quarters. So, maybe 2013, but regardless, obviously, in some ways, things have changed for the better. But the reality, though, is that like, yeah, we've lost that. And so a lot of esports pros now, no disrespect, but, you know, for a lot of people, especially if we just as you look at some of these big names retiring, like a double after a Bjergsen, you really haven't seen any names come up to replace them. And I think part of that is that the particularly with double if like some of these guys came up in an era where they were streaming while they were essentially they were what influences are today. Right. And if you look at so many of the big influencer today, whether it's XQC Ninja during his prime shroud, these folks were all esports pros, by the way. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that esports and streaming and content creation has a very interwoven relationship. And I think that one of the suggestions I make is that I think esports, rather than looking at content creators as an enemy, should really look at them as like kind of their roots and maybe should go back to that in some sustainable ways. Because I think trying to mock, trying to ape the NFL, you know, Bryce talked about it earlier. I'm not sure the NFL and NBA are going to be in a great place in the very near future from, you know, those, those entertainment products had their early stages during like, you know, the 19, you know, fifties to eighties, which is just, it's a different universe. Trying to follow that playbook in 2023 is I think not wise. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, you can find it on our Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. Subscribe there and then you'll be able to listen to the entire hour and 45 minute conversation that we had with Ovi Bouillon and Bryce Blum. Special thanks to Cecilia Chocchetti, Beverly Perez, Sammy Dag, and Prem Thotamkara for their help with this episode. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled program of Visionaries later this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.